Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough or even if they don't. And I bet a lot of you are thinking, well, this is the time when times get tough. See, I, I want to take you guys back, in mindset anyway, to the very beginning of TSP. Uh, for those that are new today, maybe that is an initials for the Survival Podcast. To back when I was doing this show in the car, and we came up with the clunkiest but best tagline ever. That's how I say. It. Like I would have never when I see I was a marketing consultant for a, a big part of my life, and I don't know that I would have ever tried to sell a customer on a strap line of helping you live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. That's half a paragraph, not a strap line, but. When I put this show together, it was the only way to describe it in a way that made sense. And the real message of that is not if times get tough or even if they don't. It's that all times are both good times and bad times. And right now is a tough time, but it's also a great time. There's so much opportunity right now. And there's so much opportunity coming. And I know that sounds bizarre. When all you hear is doomsday, doomsday, doomsday... That sounds bizarre. But if you've spent, like I have, a decade or more getting yourself prepared for something like this to happen, the, what have I always said? The what doesn't matter, only the that does. It doesn't. What, how many times did I do shows on bug in versus bug out? Now, I would say people are like, you don't know if you're going to bug in or bug out. It's impossible. No, you do. You bug in when the odds of your survival go up by bugging in. And you bug out when the odds of your survival go up by bugging out. It's that simple of an equation. And that in any situation, you would be faced with that dilemma, and it would be pretty obvious what the answer was. So what's the answer right now? Bug in. So what have I taught? 60-day readiness plan. Right? 30 days first. Do it again, you get to 60. Actually, I've always taught the really paint-by-numbers easy way. Get ready for a week. Do that again, you're ready for two weeks. Do that again, you're ready for about a month. Do that again, you have two months of readiness. You do that in all walks of life, all the things that you need, you got to have. Then you do all the things that you want, and while you're doing it, you do it with money too. So you can pay your bills, you can live your life, you can throw the keys. How many times do you hear me say that? You should be able to take your keys, throw them in the drawer, and not leave your house for two months and be okay. Maybe bored, but okay. So if you've done that, what does this all mean to you right now? the consequences. We'll, we'll get to that. Don't worry. We'll cover that today. We'll talk about why this is an incredibly great time and that we have to, like, okay, but we have to put some pragmat pragmatism with that. You could die. That sucks. That ruins all your opportunities. Right? Someone you love could die. That sucks because it hurts. But do you know that about 3 million people a year die in the United States? Of all causes combined, about 3 million. Death is part of life. Assuming you don't die, and assuming that you have actually practiced what we preach here, which is a readiness plan, you should be positioned to have a lot of opportunities. And when I say that, people get really offended, like you're somehow capitalizing on the misery of others. To capitalize on the misery of others is to do things with no concern for others, and to the point where it actually aggravates 
the suffering of others or to maybe even be part of the thing that caused the suffering so that you can capitalize on it. To see opportunities no matter what happens and, and focus on the opportunities versus your own demise is just intelligent living. And those who are prepared, when bad things happen, always have choices that are opportunistic. Always. The whole world's on sale. We're going to talk about that today. There's a lot of time that you normally wouldn't have. I actually have less time. And I'm still getting shit done. I have less time because I'm working harder at this because of what's going on and a, and a sense of obligation to do so. But many people right now have time they would not otherwise have. Many people right now who are laid off are about to end up with more money week to week than they would have had if they kept their jobs and they get the opportunity to stay home. Yes, I said opportunity to stay home. I know parts of it suck. I have now, I now have my grandkids here five days a week because their other grandparents are refusing to help. That is a distraction. It is noise. It is, it is, it, but it's also a blessing that I get to see them five days a week. It's a risk because they could contaminate me, but we've done everything we can. My, my daughter-in-law and my son are being very smart about how they take care of themselves, and it is what it is. So all I can do is sit back and say, because I was a good aunt, now that there is a winter, it is not only a winter of frigid cold where there are dangers, but it is a winter where I'm well provisioned and there are opportunities. And I'm going to tell you that a lot of you that don't feel as prepared, you might be able to still end up, because of a lot of things that have been done by capitalizing on them, be more prepared than you thought you were and come out of this ahead. I said come out of this ahead. And again, I know it sounds so, I don't know, insensitive. There's people dying and you're... But, see, those people will die no matter what I do. If I could lift a finger to save them, I would. I believe that what I have put out about nutritional supplementation and asking your doctor for hydrochloroquine, though that's getting harder, not easier, which we won't get into today, but we'll talk about tomorrow. I believe those two things alone will help save some lives. I believe that the years that I've put into teaching readiness and preparedness and homesteading and all the other things that make you able to stay home will save lives right now because people will be able to stay home. See, I think that we got to go back to this whole, but the government shouldn't be able to tell us all to stay home. Okay, fine. But guess what? We don't live in, in Jacktopia or your name Topia either. We don't live in a minarchy. We don't live in a anarchy. We don't live in a stateless society. We live where we live. And as pragmatists, we then deal with what we have so they can. But let's take that away. What is the smartest thing you can do for yourself right now if you are worried about becoming infected or infecting others that you care about? The answer is stay home. Bug in. And I, I forgot to put the link in the last time I mentioned this, but I did a podcast back in 2010 called The Startling Reality of Pandemic, of the Pandemic Threat. And so when people are like, why are you so calm in all this? Because while I got wrong that this particular illness was as bad as it is, because I believe people like Dr. Fauci, who said it wasn't when I was saying it wasn't, okay? 
Right? That was my mistake, believing our top doctor in the United States for infectious diseases. That was, and that's a mistake. I own that mistake. But once I realized that that information was wrong, I switched gears immediately to this is the best treatment that's available, this is how you supplement it, this is what you do. And this is how you benefit in this terrible time. Why? Because nothing, and I swear to God, if you go back and listen to this show from 2010, there is nothing government is doing, other than a lot of like the really big bailout, but as far as the controls, there is nothing they're doing I didn't say they wouldn't do back in 2010, 10 years ago. So nothing surprises me here. Why am I calm? Because I'm prepared. In the words of John Pugliano, because I'm a prepper, not a pretender. And we're going to walk through today how to think about this and what's going on and what I'm doing. And I'm hoping it spurs your mind as to what you can do, regardless of your level of preparedness. I am not going to bitch at anybody right now. You should have been prepared. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The past is done. There is the present and the future. That is all we have. There is the tools and resources you have. And many of you have resources and tools and opportunities you don't even see. So if at any point today when I tell you what I'm doing, if you think that bastard's bragging, I'm not. I am doing what I have always done. I am being a straight shooter with you, and I'm telling you what I am doing. I can't give you any better advice than to say, in my situation, based on what's going on, these are the actions I am taking and the plans I am making. That's honesty. It's not braggery. Because some of it's going to sound really good, and guess what it is. Because when you're prepared, well, you can think, you can improvise, you can adapt, you can overcome, and you can even profit. Every single story like this from our past, every single one, Spanish flu, wars, every single one that is this big in scope has stories of people who became wealthy while they were going on and immediately thereafter. But you only hear a very small percentage of those stories. You hear the famous ones and the infamous ones. Those are all you hear. You don't hear the thousands upon thousands of stories of the little guy, just like me and you, who was smart, methodical, and prepared, and made the most of the situation. If you think about it, one of the greatest periods in the United States ever economically was from 1921 to 1929. I know it ended in the Great Depression. You're going to ignore those eight years? The people that made the most out of those eight years profited the most during the Great Depression. And then the war. And then the largest period of economic expansion the United States had ever experienced up until very, very recently was when? 1946 to 1960. After the war. Until we were stupid enough to get ourselves into another war we didn't belong in. There was Korea in the middle, but it was small enough that it didn't derail everything. Then we decided to get into Vietnam, take over the French. And then what happened? The 70s and stagflation, and people still capitalized. People still became very wealthy in the 70s. And then a massive period of it. See, it cycles. The key is that you need to benefit in the up and the down. We're going to talk about the mindset of doing that today. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. 
First of all, ReadyMadeResources.com, the company that does what they say and says what they do. ReadyMade Resources, all of them are ready to go on their website, point, click, and buy. Though right now, maybe not so much. You can check them out, but a lot of the stuff that they sell, they are sold out and backlogged on. Um, but they are the readiness superstore, and we're going to be talking a lot about readiness today, and they've been a sponsor for a long time. So check them out. Maybe they'll have what you're looking for. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. They're shipping. They're, they have availability. Apparently, you can buy knife kits in the middle of a pandemic, and maybe you're stuck at home. Maybe it's a good time to actually take up a new hobby, to learn something, to do something. I saw somebody that quoted something on, on Facebook. I don't remember who did it. I'm waiting to see this again so I can properly attribute it. I maybe do the quote today when I do. But they said, if something is effective, if you don't come out of this, this period with a new skill, or some other things that were other options. Time was never your problem. Apathy was something like that. And you know, maybe this is the thing to take up now. Maybe it's the thing to do with your kids now, so that you guys can look back on this time and say, "Hey, remember when?" And we did. And here it is. Check them out today, KnifeKits.com. With that, let's uh, let's dig on into this. I want to start out with. I have often said. I have often said. Again, start with a week. Do it again then do it again, you're at a month, then do it again, you're at 60 days. Prepare for the mundane to the insane, but start with the mundane. I've talked about the concept of the first thing we can prepare for is to lose a job or to have a, a, a loved one stricken with a terminal illness or something terrible like that for the thing that affects only your household. You start there, and you get ready to deal with that for 60 days, and by the time you're done with that, you've done most of what you can do to be ready for even a global disaster. Here we sit in a global disaster. Now, I think this global disaster is two parts. It is the illness itself, and it is still, on some levels, an overreaction of government. I won't get into why today, but there's definitely two sides to it. And I don't think the government needs to, to be shutting down as much as they are. Some intervention I do think makes sense. right? But that's, that's where we are. If you have a 60-day readiness plan right now, You can get through this, and you can thrive through this. You can certainly be ready to thrive at the end of this. And you do have to stay cognizant of this. This will end. If you are listening to somebody that tells you you're going to be locked in your home for 18 months, whoever that person is, I implore you, stop listening to them. That has never happened in the history of infectious disease let alone at a time where we have the advances and capabilities that we do today. Never. Now, I do think if you think that, like, oh, in three weeks they'll just flip a switch and everything will go back to exactly the way that it was, I think that's illogical. I think what you'll see is different areas opening up at different speeds with different levels of controls, and as they went on, if you notice, like, controls didn't go in place overnight all at once. They went in place in stages. They'll come off in stages, and they'll watch areas, and when areas flare up, they'll tighten that area up. I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see more tightening of state borders as things open up. We can open up our state because we have a very low incidence and a lot of control in place, but if people start coming here from New Jersey and New York... We could lose that control. That could happen. Am I for it or against it? I'm against it to a degree, depending on how it's done. However, it doesn't matter. Remember, there is... See, like I said yesterday, if we had a anarchist society, a stateless society, I'm sure there would be lots of options in place for people to choose. 
But we don't get to do that because we don't live there. We live in this world here. So that's the kind of thing I see coming. So what do you do about it? You adapt to it. You deal with it. You figure out what works best for you. But if you have that 60-day plan, what you're able to do is, first of all, you're able to think. And one of the things you need to be thinking, again, is this will end. And in the grand scheme of a human lifetime, in a relatively short period of that time thereof. Does it mean a week? Does it mean two weeks? does mean, I would say three weeks from now, you will see significant loosening of restrictions in many areas, not all. But it, the whole thing will eventually poof, and, and burn itself out. The only reason I can say that is one of my laws of life. If you want to know the future, look to the past. Everything is a cycle. And that's always what it's been. Things that were far worse than this ran that same cycle. But if you can be prepared, that way you're calm. I have what I need. I'll be okay for a couple months. What about day 61? I got 60 days to worry about day 61. I can sit back, I can relax, and I can think strategically about what I need to resupply on and what I need to adapt so that I can make the money go further on the money side. Then I can look at, well, gee, they're going to send me 1200 bucks or 2400 bucks or more, depending on if I have kids. That's socialism. You know what? Again, if you don't want your money, send it to me. I'll bill you for it so you can deduct it from your taxes. That money's coming. I'll take it. You got laid off. Great. Many of you that get laid off during this time, once the, the federal funds kick in on top of your unemployment, will have more money, not less, than you did while you were working. There are people begging to have their businesses shut down so they can do what you're doing because they're afraid to be out. Are they right for that? Probably not, but it does give you perspective. If you're prepared, you can think. You can think. I've always said, if you have food, you can always figure out how to get more food. When you have no food, you can't, because you can't think. Once you can think, you can adapt. So once you have time to sit and think and evaluate with logic and calm reason, then you can adapt to a fluctuating, changing situation. This good opportunity came up, I'm going to take it. This is a problem, therefore I'm going to mitigate it. If you're in a panic state, let's keep telling everybody, calm down, calm down. Ah, they're freaking out because I tell you to calm down. This is why you have to remain calm. If you're in a building that's on fire, you have to remain calm. If you can stay calm, you can figure out a way to get out of the building or protect yourself or do something. And if you're going to die, you're going to die. Panicking won't lessen the chance of dying. It will actually increase it. Panicking during a crisis like this will not lessen the chance of doing great long-term harm to yourself, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or financial. It will increase it. So we remain calm. The only way we can do that is if we're prepared. And we think, we adapt. And if we can adapt, you can thrive. People that adapted to the American Civil War, which was one of the worst times to live in this country for everybody, not just the soldiers fighting it, and in some ways actually a lot of the civilians suffered more, often civilians suffer more and more than military. But those that could think, those that thought ahead, those that saw the storm coming, those that were ready, actually benefited. Not necessarily at anybody's expense either. You can thrive if you can think, and you can adapt, and you can overcome. That all starts with preparedness. Something was always going to happen. That's why we prepared. That's something else people need to realize. It's COVID. doesn't matter. What do you mean it doesn't matter? No, it doesn't really matter. Because we prepared to do what, folks? Deal without systems of support. That's what we prepare for. 
So does it matter that it's COVID? What if it was the flu? What if it was something that happened to the electrical grid? What if, what if, what if? There's a million things it could have been. Sooner or later, society as a whole would end up facing something collectively of this size, which is why you're a prepper in the first place. And it only matters that. If you grab onto that mindset, it all gets easier because you stop focusing on the what. Because there's a danger in this if you focus on the what. And, and I'll explain it to you. And it's, it's very primal, and it leads to a very dark place. Humanity has been hit with illnesses way worse than this many times throughout our history. Many times. If we were to do nothing at all, this might kill 1% of the population of the planet. When you have you know, billions of people on a planet, that's a huge number, and it sucks. But it doesn't really set the needle back on humanity. Especially when, if you looked at it in truth, if you look at the dem demographics, and I know they showed you a young person that died and scared you with it, okay? But in, in October of, of last year, before COVID was here, at least before we think it was here, and it sure seems like that's before, There was a young guy, he was in his 30s, I think he was 33, he was some kind of sportscaster, and he died of a sudden onset pneumonia from like something that looked like a cold. Very, very similar to how COVID kills. The only reason you even heard about it is because he was famous, and many of you didn't even hear about it. It wasn't around very long. It was a little news story that I just happened to notice, because it was odd. Do you run around worried that that's going to get you too? No. What you do is you say, hey, look, there's real risks in the world, but life goes on. John Pugliano said it perfectly when he was on the show. He said, you know, in the end, if I get COVID and I die, <clears throat> my kids will cry. They will mourn me. They'll have a funeral. And in a little while, they'll get over it and they'll go out and spend my money. That's what's going to happen to society as a whole. But what we grab on to the mindset is it doesn't matter. See, again, I'm back to why this is so scary. I lost my track, train of thought there for a second. Sorry about that. So, because in our very genetics, we know, we know intrinsically as beings that diseases can take us out. They don't care about your age, your sex, your religion, your money, your race. Now, different illnesses do predominantly hit a certain age group. Some illnesses even hit pr predominantly certain races and things like that. There's genetic factors and epigenetic factors, which means factors above the genetics. We can do something about the epigenetic factor, but we can't do anything about the genetic factor. But in the end, there's something out there that can get us all. On a day-to-day -day basis, cancer can take you out. You have two lives when you become a cancer patient. Your life before and your life after you hear the words, you have cancer. And I said that to you right now, many of you have never had cancer. Some of you did, and you really understand it. But some of you that didn't, you just had an inkling of an understanding. You saw an image of a guy in a white coat with a stethoscope in front of you saying those words to you. And you felt how that would hit. When we start looking at diseases and pandemics, that piece of ourselves that has ancient, multi-generational memory of things like Black Plague, of things like smallpox epidemics, We have an ingrained memory of that as beings. I believe that. It's part of our survival instinct. So when we hear something that fits that narrative, it touches that dark-seated place in us, and it puts us into a state of fear. 
But as soon as you grab onto the fact, it doesn't even matter why we're in this situation, only that, and we only need to respond to the that. And that includes washing your hands, social distancing, all those other things. And that's what you can do. And you accept that that's what you can do. Peace. Peace. And now you can think. And here's one of the things I think right now. And again, nothing about what I'm going to say is braggery. It's just what I'm doing. Please understand that. And I just don't feel right not telling you. Like, how can I not tell you and then when it's over say, well, this is what I did. And you're like, I wish the, the, the guy would have told me that. It might have changed my decision. So number one, the world is on sale. The world's on sale right now. I have contacts and and per, you know secondary and, and and first level both one through an advisor and one you know a couple that are direct that have dumped you know up to or over a million dollars in the stock market most somewhere around nineteen to twenty thousand for the Dow is kind of where they were at when they did that they're going to do great they're going to do great my mistake I didn't dump everything when it was like twenty eight twenty nine and buy back in I really wish I would have. It was a mistake. It is what it is. I'm not bailing right now. I don't see any point in bailing right now. I think we have kind of a false bottom. Here's what I think is happening here on the stock market. The Federal Reserve was basically given a green light. You buy whatever you need to buy to stabilize the market. And I think what they're doing is when you get around that $20,000, $19,000, $20,000 floor, the Fed is buying everything that they can buy as fast as they can. And they're actually buying it for pennies over the, the ask. So there's two things in a stock. There's a bid and an ask. And a bid is generally what somebody's willing to pay, and an ask is what somebody wants. The bid's generally a little lower. Looking at some things, I kind of feel like some of those asks have been exceeded by fractions of a cent, maybe. But what that does is the Fed just buys the shit out of everything that everybody panic sells, and eventually the panic sales kind of wane. And if they test that again, they just start buying it again. Then they're holding all this stock on their balance sheet they bought for pennies on the dollar, a you know, discount of about 40%. Anyway, and as the market recovers, they'll slowly sell it off. How much stock would you buy right now if you could buy billions and trillions of dollars worth of it with money that doesn't cost you anything, where you can't lose? And the answer is as much as you can get. Um, I can't do that. I didn't have a million cold cash sitting around waiting to dump in or anything like that, but I do okay for myself because I prepare and I plan. And once you get to 60 days, you keep going. You don't stop. Right, So one thing I did is our lease was coming up on our Toyota. We decided we wanted to go to a Subaru Outback. We leased a brand new Subaru Outback right in the middle of all this shit. I ended up with about $10,000 off that lease. Why? Because they knew it was coming. It was kind of the last weekend before all the lockdowns kicked in. And they, everybody knew that was coming. And I was, hey, you know. I got another year. I got another month on a Toyota. I'm sure Toyota is really going to be willing to pay play ball with us a lot better in about five weeks, because I know you would be. We can make a deal now. Really simple. Um, I had to buy a new lawn tractor. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do it. But my Husqvarna went the way of all tractors. Eventually, it was just done, and fixing it would be so expensive and so time consuming that it wouldn't be worth it for me to do it. It's better for me to sell it to somebody that wants to do that to it for a few hundred bucks. I have my idea on the eye on these new John Deere lawn tractors, the ones with the you know 30-second oil change and all. And I just watched the price, and I ended up getting it for $600 off 
of what it was selling for two weeks before I bought it. I also have been wanting to buy a really good chipper shredder, uh, you know, for for all the prunings and branches and everything that we have around here to make wood chips out of it and to get rid of it instead of burning it, which is what we've had to do mostly. And the problem is your entry level ones are about eight nine hundred to a thousand bucks, and that's kind of about what I wanted to spend. And you know, all of those are recoil start. You have to pull the string, and not, you know that means that when Dorothy wants to use the damn thing, and I'm working, I'm going to have to go out there and do it because she won't be able to do it, and what have you. And so I've been watching one, really neat one. And once I get it put, because it's here, I just put it together yet. I haven't had time. But once I get it set up, basically it's a gas-powered mower, but it plugs in for electric start. So you push a button, it starts. No battery to die or anything. So that once she knows how to use it, she can use it without me. Um, I've wanted it. $1,800 wood chipper. Man, I, I want it, but I don't want it for $1,800. Got it for right out of grand. $800 bucks off. Why? Incentives, rebates, etc. They want to sell. Nobody's buying that's little small potatoes so far. You know, I also had to spend way too much money yesterday because one of my pressure tanks sprung a leak and was rusting from the inside. And if that blows, um, we don't have water to the house, not to mention flooding the garage. But I didn't get a really great deal on that because you're kind of up against the wall and they know it. And I didn't have time to do the work myself, and I didn't have time right now to shop it around. But when I was able to just write a check for it and not really worry about it, that felt pretty good. Didn't like it. In fact, what I said to the guy when he gave me a price was, I effing hate that, and I didn't say effing, right? I said the whole word. But go ahead and do it. And we paid for it, and we're okay. We won't change our lives. I wish I had the money, but don't. But I might buy my dream truck. I'm not going to tell you what it is, because too many people are brand snobs, and you'll attack my brand. After I buy it, I'll tell you what it is. I don't need anybody telling me I don't want what I want. <laughs> but the sticker price on that truck is $47,000. Jack, you're crazy. You're going to buy a $50,000 pickup truck in the middle of a pandemic. No, I'm not going to buy a $47,000 truck for $47,000. I haven't filled out a piece of paperwork yet. I haven't given them my friggin' Social Security number so they can run a credit yet. I've offered them some money down, zero trade, and said, so what can you do for me? If it sounds good enough, I'll give you the rest of the information. I have them down to $31,000 haven't actually done anything yet other than by email. It's sitting there. It's not going anywhere. By the way, it's one year older than most of the other vehicles on a lot, so they're not selling it. Apparently it's not anybody's dream truck but mine. They're happy to tell me how there's only four of them within 30 miles. I'm like, great, that's three more dealers I can beat up on price. I might buy it for 31000 I might not. I don't know. I do know there's a point where I will. I don't need it. I like it. It's nice to be in that position. Again, that's not bragging. That's opportunity. What we're talking about there is saving, what, $16,000? I mean, on, and, and, and to put it in perspective, I mean, the reason I'm even considering this is I drive about like 7,000 miles a year, if that. If I have it for five years, I'll put 35,000 miles on it. It's still basically brand new. Maybe less than that. I have a garage to keep it in. You know, I've always wanted one of these. Maybe it's time. That's how things are if you're prepared. What if you're not prepared? Well, 
you know, are you self-employed? I got John Pugliano working on this, but it really looks like most of you that are self-employed will be able to, under this, without any proof of hardship whatsoever, borrow $10,000, pay yourself with it, because your headcount is one and you're not going to fire yourself, and never pay any of the money back. If I get to do that, I'm definitely buying the truck. It's like found money. It'll it'll make the, the, the pressure tank work I had done yesterday hurt less, too. It's socialism. Again, you, you go get as much of it as you can and send it to me. I will bill you for consulting with it. I'm not going to actually do any consulting. You're getting the consulting right now on how to send me the money. Send it to PayPal, right? Send it to Jack at the survivalpodcast.com via PayPal, and I will send you an invoice for whatever you want so you can deduct it from your taxes. I'm being a little facetious there. I want you to keep it. But I'm making a point. If you can obtain money at no cost to yourself from this situation, from the government who steals from you at will throughout your entire adult life, get it. Do something good with it. Mid-sized companies can borrow like $10 million and not pay any of it back as long as they don't cut headcount through the year. I have my son talking to his employer about this. They're a much smaller company than that. They probably can't borrow that much money, but I'm like... You know, what they could do is the guy that was part-time that they let go, they could bring him back. They could give you a couple days off. They could pay you your full rate. They could pay him, and it actually doesn't cost them any money. In fact, it costs them less money than they're spending right now. And they get to keep the money. And they can borrow more money than they need, not just to make payroll. The thing is, they can't fail to make payroll, and they can't cut headcount. If they do that, they can position your business, which is an essential service, which is why you're still employed, that still has cash flow to expand at the end of this. By the way, you should take that to him and explain it in exactly those words because that makes you more valuable that you went out and got that information for them. And by the way, they, owe other, they own other companies where they can do the same thing, and if they do that everywhere, this will be really great for them. And by the way, when this is over, you should point out how much you brought to the table and ask for a raise. See, I think about this a little bit differently. My son is nowhere near as prepared or as well off as we are, but we're able to help. And I'm still saying, here, take your, I'm not going to do everything for him. I'm going to empower him. If he gets short on something, I'll fill it. But I will not make his life super easy during this. Maybe he'll listen to the crazy old man a little bit more at the end of it. But I'm thinking every way possible. How do I or you or anyone in this situation take this situation and use the same principles we use in a lot of martial arts. How do we redirect the energy so that we use the energy against the attacker? See, the attacker isn't COVID. The attack is a dwindling economy, a limitation on what you can do, a restriction on your movement, going without some things, and for some of you, going without income. So how do we bend and twist and move and maneuver that? How do we think, improvise? and adapt so that we can thrive. That's the way I'm going to come at any problem that comes because if you're prepared, then when something happens, it's inevitable that something was going to happen. Next, here's another opportunity that's kind of independent of like the government money or how prepared you are right now. Millions of people, millions, tens of millions, maybe a 100 million people, now see value in things they never saw value in before. If you look at just local food production, how many people that 
in November, if you would have said, hey, you know, I'm starting this greenhouse up, I'm going to have a micro CSA, you can get a box of vegetables every week for 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 25, whatever it is. Here's what it's going to be like. Here's the deal. You have to come pick it up. It's going to come in containers. You have to wash those containers and bring them back, and I give you new containers you have to put down a deposit. Whatever, however you're going to run that, would have said, yeah, I can go to the store. How many people that would have said that in November if you, if you told them that, even when this is over and the stores are open again, go, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And that's just one example. How many other things like that are there? How many things are there going to be where when you make a value proposition to a person, they're going to be receptive to it now when they would have never been receptive to it before this happened? We always talked about wanting to take some of the mentality of our grandparents and great-grandparents and bring it into this modern age. I've talked about how your great-grandfather would smack you dead for wasting the opportunity that the Internet represents when he was trying to figure out how to buy an apple during the Great Depression a hundred years ago. Well, 90 years ago. If he was still here, he would look at all the opportunities you have and just smack you. And if you gave that generation the opportunities we have today, what they would have done with it would have blown your mind. I see the opportunity here is that some, not all, but some piece of that mentality is now being brought to these generations. And I say generations because this is a multi-generational problem. There's nobody this doesn't touch. This is touching my son, who is an aging millennial. This is touching my niece, who is right on the edge between Gen Y and millennial. This is touching my great-nieces, my grand-nieces, I guess is what you call them, who are kids, touching my grandchildren, touching me. It's touching my parents' generation. It's touching everybody. And it's reformatting our brains as to where real value is. Well, whenever that happens in history, it represents an opportunity for you to meet that new expectation of value in some creative way. This will be one of the greatest times in the world for entrepreneurship. Mark my words. And it's a good time to do it because, you know, I had a discussion with somebody on Facebook today and they're like, ah, oh, long-term economic consequences. The long-term economic consequences are a massive flux in the economy that is totally going to make people wealthier than they've ever been and ruin people at the same time. That's inevitable. No COVID. That's still happening. We've been talking about that for how long? Forever. The world of automation. The world of changing, fluxing technologies, etc. All of that is coming anyway. There are companies that are going out of business right now. They would have gone out of business anyway. COVID is just maybe the thing that makes them go faster. Think about it like this. You have an 88-year-old male living in an assisted living facility that can barely walk. Now, if you are his kids or grandchildren and you still have some time to speak to him and be with him and comfort him, and hear from him, and learn from him. What I'm about to say sucks. I'm not saying it doesn't. But that person has a life expectancy of less than a year. I'm sorry, they just do. When we when we had to put my, my wife's father into assisted living, and we were talking to the counselors there about how long we could afford to do it for, and it was a little over two years, they said, I, I don't want to be cold, but... Very few people, once they come into a facility like this, live more than two years. And as we watched 
the people around him, that played out very, very much the case. And he, he made it about 21 months. So if you get to the point where you're beyond that, you're, you're where I just said this 88-year-old man is, or 92-year-old man, or 79-year-old man. Depends on you know how their life degrades and, and what their genetics are. You're at that point, and you have less than a year, no matter what. And somebody that works there inadvertently brings COVID into the facility, that person gets infected, and they die this month. But they would have never seen 2021 anyway. It's terrible. I'm not making light of it. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really change much. So let's look at a company that I think you will see a lot of stores close when this is over, and that's Macy's. Macy's furloughed like almost everybody. And they said, well, we're bringing them back. No, you're not. There's a whole bunch of Macy's stores that probably would have died in January of 2021. After one more Christmas didn't save them, they would have died. If, let's say, by June we're opening up most of the economy, not all, and Macy says we're closing these stores, does it really matter in the long-term economic consequences when they were going to die anyway? And the answer is they don't. If you work there, it sucks. Now you got to go. Now you're contributing to unemployment. Now you got to go find another job or something to do. But it didn't change anything. So much of what will be gone after this, as far as jobs and businesses, was rotting fruit on the vine. That was just being held longer. Now some small companies and all could go under. That represents opportunity for new ones. That's how this always has played out. And a final thought on this, two words, life insurance. Life insurance, life insurance, life insurance. Okay? Somebody said to me, but I'm not, I've not gotten my family to where they need to be that if I die during this, they're going to be really okay without me. First of all, I'm going to tell you something. If they don't die too, they will. They'll figure it out because that's what humans do. No matter the position, as far as most people, whatever they're put into, they deal with it and they get through it. If your great-grandparents could get through the Great Depression, you and your family can get through this. What doesn't kill you, will, if it doesn't make you stronger, you'll still get through it. Okay, But you are never going to get your family ready for you to die. You are now, if you, especially if you are a, a, a significant source of income for them, and the person that does things and fixes things and leads the family, you are never going to get them ready for you to die. You can be wealthy. You're still not going to get them ready for you to die. But the one thing you can do is financially set them up so that if you die, they, let's go back to preparedness, have a readiness plan where they can think, they can adapt, they can overcome, and eventually they can thrive even though you're gone. Think about this. No matter who dies, in general, those they leave behind put their lives back together and go on because death is a reality. Again, I, I've talked about this before, but when I was a little kid, I'm talking like 10, 11, before we moved to Pennsylvania, I spent every summer, a large part of it anyway, up in Pennsylvania. So I would go up to my grandparents up there, and I would spend just wonderful times up there. And this is a different time in history. You know, I am almost 50 now, so it's a while ago. And that whole road that they lived on, where all families that all immigrated from the Ukraine 
about the turn of the century, and I'm talking the 1900s, right? And they all had a long history with each other. A lot of them related, a lot of them weren't, but they all came from the same place about the same time and settled in the same area. So it was like a big, giant, extended family. And I remember the, 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 there was a house just north of my house, and that was where my great-uncle Pete and my great-aunt Millie lived. And just north of them, there was a, a, a group up there that I did we weren't related to, but the families were close, and their last name was Depsky. And I would go see Mr. and Mrs. Depsky, and they were old. They were older than my great-uncle Pete. I mean, they were you know, pushing 90-ish. And I remember they would say things once in a while, just out of the blue, like, I'll be dead soon. And for a kid, you're like, what? Well, it'll be okay. We all do it. And I'm getting prepared. We've lost that. <laughs> We've lost that comfortableness with the fact that we all eventually pass away. And I think it's maybe too much science fiction in the belief that we're going to be able to extend our lives to be like 300 years old or something. And maybe someday we will, but most of us aren't going to live to see I don't think any of us are going to live to see that. So we need to accept that. And part of that acceptance of mortality is you may not get to be old man Devsky and old woman Devsky. The odds that you'll die of COVID if you're a young, healthy individual are lower than the odds that you'll get hit in a car wreck and die in the next 12 months. In the next 30 days. Maybe a little less car wreck likelihood in the next 30 days because there's less vehicles on the road. But on the general consensus, on a day-to-day -day basis, the odds that you'll die as a young individual with a family to take care of in a car wreck far exceed the odds that COVID will take you out. And that's why you have life insurance. I want to talk a little bit more about like hands-on stuff I'm doing at Nine Mile Farm, some things. Number one, I am doing a new deep water aeroponics crack-key-ish Hydro system. What? Deep water, hydro. Aeroponics, hydro. And Kratky-ish. What the hell is that? Well, so this is a bucket-based system. I'm using the five-gallon Commander Series, the black and yellow buckets you get at Lowe's. And they're going in the back of my greenhouse. I've built this perfectly level shelf. That means all the buckets are level. They all have a bulkhead in them, a half-inch pipe coming out to a one-inch return line common. That goes down back to the sump. And the sump, or the, the overflow stack, has a valve for a lower one and, and no valve for the higher one. So if I want to hold water way up in the top of the buckets, when I first put the plants in, I close the lower valve. And then if I want to drop the level in the buckets... I open the valve. So once the roots are down, I open the valve. I don't have to change anything. I don't have any moving parts other than the valve itself. I open the valve, the level drops, and now we have an air gap. It's crack key-ish, but it's still deep water recirculating. Got it? Where's the aeroponics come in? So I have put a lot of irrigation in. Some of it was a mistake on the property. And in all those cases, I used half-inch pipe with a hedge sprinkler. Hedge sprinklers are a little like 65 cent. They screw onto a slip-and-thread adapter uh, at the end of a half-inch pipe. And they're the ones, you know, like they pop up and they spray psh, like 360 degrees. Uh, again, they're really used mostly for irrigation of like hedges and stuff around houses. And you can get them at 360 where they go 360 degrees. You can get them like 180 where they spray half side. You can get them a quarter, uh, 90, a lot of different ways you can have them configured. But they all have a little screw in them. And that little screw, you tighten it and it sprays less and you loosen it it sprays more. Real, real simple. Well, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take, and there's seven buckets, so I'll, run, I'll build a delivery line out of the pump from the sump and tease at each one and then uh, 90 down into the bucket 
And at the end of that delivery, instead of it just being straight affluent, it will spray out of the 65-cent freaking um, head sprinkler head. And that basically will spray it into the bucket, into the air gap. So it's like kind of aeroponic. It's deep water. It's recirculating. But it has the air gap, and it'll run 15 on, 45 off, just like my vertical farm. So it's got a cracky air gap. Why? Just makes sense. And it was really easy to come up with. So that's one thing. That's going in the back of my greenhouse. In the front of my greenhouse, I don't really know what to call it right now other than a vertical hydro system, but I'm going to be putting in at least three four-inch pipes. I already have the material here. And, you know, water just goes to the top pipe, flows across, down to the middle pipe, down to the bottom pipe, back to the sump. Same greenhouse, different pump, different sump. Why? Different requirements as far as nutrient. So that one's going to grow mostly fennel and strawberry and some other stuff. And I'm playing with that to see what it does. And who knows, it might become a whole wall of strawberries. I don't know. My my grandkids eat so many strawberries, man. It's like the best freaking junk food for kids in the world, strawberries. Because they think it's junk food and it's actually good for them. Um, so, but I'm going to play with some fennel in that too. I've had some issues. I want to grow fennel hydroponically. And in my vertical farm, I don't have enough space and it gets too big and it gets up into the lights. So I'm going to, because it was doing really great until that happened. I had to move them and transplant them all out into the garden. So I'm going to play with some fennel in there. But I'm going to see how much space I got. I might be able to make that a four pipe system. I might put some vertical stacks in with it. I don't know yet, but I'm, I'm building that. I'm hoping that I will have all of that done by the end of this week. So that includes the weekend. Though, of course, now it's going to be rainy and miserable on Saturday again. We will see. So I'm doing that. And if you're like, what the hell is he really talking about? I have a video that explains, especially the deep water and bucket system. It's in the show notes today. I put it out on YouTube today. It'll go out in the Daily Mail today. It was on Facebook. It was on Twitter. So there's a video that shows where I'm at in the build right now. But I think that might give you guys some ideas of what you can do. And just a tip, and I say this in my videos about this all the time. If you're going to do a project and what you're going to do is order stuff from Lowe's or Home Depot, figure out like the next two or three projects, assuming you have the funding, buy everything because the delivery fee is 50 bucks For me, I don't know what it is you know, regionally if it changes, but to have a giant truck from Lowe's come to my house and a guy with that cool little three-wheel forklift Put that shit wherever I want it on my property, $50. If I buy one 2 by 4 it's $50. If I buy enough materials to do four projects, it's $50. There is some things they won't deliver. I was going to get my wife some bags of topsoil and stuff like that. They won't deliver that. But almost everything else they'll deliver. So that's what I'm doing with the hydro. On the vertical farm that you guys have seen me develop over the last few months, it's indoor. Now that it's getting to where everything can go outdoors, I'm about to yank almost everything out of it except the starts up in the top flood tray where I'm starting dozens and hundreds of plants uh, and, and start running a system that is week by week to needs. And I'm going to grow arugula and spinach primarily in it. And the reason is both of those do really good. And they're the two greens we eat the most in a salad format. And there'll be plenty of other greens out in the dirt. So that's what's happening there really quick. Um, we're planting out all the wicking beds in the aviary. I've got tomatoes going in, peppers going in, just like always. Um, and assuming I get the greenhouse work with the hydro systems done this week, next week I'm going to start the big 250-gallon pond and the, overflow, uh, the waterfall system and all of that. 
and getting the aviary ready so that we could start putting reptiles and amphibians in it. So it could be like this little nature zone. And uh, again, we have as many wicking beds as we've always had in there. We actually have more now. We have, of the three sections, though, it used to fill out all three sections. Now we have as much in two sections as we used to have in three, and there's more room. So I have a whole empty section which is 16 foot by 10 foot, so 160 square feet. That's where this big pond is going, and I'll put like a bridge over it along the back wall, and I think I'm going to do another bucket system for hydro there, and that one's going to be Kratky. That's going to be pure Kratky with like a garbage can uh, and a float valve, so they're all plumb common, kind of like the overflow one, the, the deep water one, but all that's going to be is you put the plants in, the water level starts dropping, once it hits a certain level, the float valve at one part of the system controls the level another. And then we can compare Kratky versus recirculating and see. And if one doesn't do so well, I don't care because I have the other one. So I'll be able to put out all that information for you guys going into the summer, plus all of the food we're getting. This now also has me with all of the stuff that I've been doing with this hydro being able to produce hundreds of plants with like no work. I don't have to buy plants in this year at all. Right? And because of that I have hundreds of plants that are going out into the garden beds over the next few weeks. The new big garden beds. Uh, and plenty of seed that's getting planted directly as well. So I'm going to have better production probably than I've ever had. And I'm going to take all of this data that I'm gaining from this, and all these different systems, and I'm going to ferret out, does it make sense to pick a couple things and build dedicated systems for them and do the micro-CSA approach? It will only make sense, one, if my wife wants to be on board with it and help, and I can train my grandson. So I'll also be able to use these systems to see, is he at the point yet where he has the aptitude and the desire to be a part-time employee, and then I can move him into business ownership and business management, if he's ready. If he's not, I don't think I'll do it, because I don't need the money from that, and I, don't, and I can take the work and do other things with it and do better for myself. But if he's ready, or if I can find the right person who is, maybe I do that. Maybe I do that. Uh, the ducks right now are just trucking out eggs. So we will never have 200 ducks again. We have 20-some ducks right now, but we're getting 15 eggs a day. So with a micro CSA, I could easily do a half dozen per box eggs. Maybe I do a half dozen duck eggs per box every other share or something like that. It's a, it's a surplus that we have available. Right now we're selling to a couple of our old customers, and they're buying as much as they can, and we still have more than, than we can do. And I think one guy just bought eight dozen from us because he had to drive pretty far to get them. Um, our farm is an essential business, by the way. We have every right to be open and to uh, be engaged in commerce. And when he came, we kept six-foot distance, and we do good hygiene, and he did good hygiene, and just you deal with it. Uh, but I'm considering that again. As we wrap up, I want to talk about our final thoughts today. Number one, take care of yourself. Like, just because I'm saying to be optimistic, that doesn't mean run around and start licking toilet seats like the so-called influencer on Instagram. The fact that somebody is an influencer on Instagram for the fact that they'll do stupid shit like lick a public toilet seat in the middle of a pandemic is why the government has put the restrictions in place they have. They should be able to say, this is the things you should do and let volunteerism take over, but we have retarded, stupid people out there. You don't need to be part of that. Take care of yourself, but be optimistic and be opportunistic. Don't feel guilty for figuring out how you can benefit right now. 
it won't benefit anybody for you not to benefit. So we live in this really twisted world where people act selfishly, but then shun things that aren't selfish as being selfish. Just because something is in your self-interest does not make it selfish. To me, selfish means that I benefit at somebody else's expense. If somebody is suffering and I happen to benefit, but I am not benefiting at their expense, that is not acting selfishly, it's acting in self-interest. And the best thing you can do at a time when people need help is to act in your self-interest so that you are stable and you don't become someone that needs help. That way there's more resources for the people to do. Take care of yourself and be optimistic. And here's four ways to cultivate optimism. Number one, think about the future. What are you going to do with this time so that you benefit more when it's over? What, what are you going to build in your life? What are you going to do with your kids when this is all over? Where are you going to take them? What adventure are you going to take that you've always wanted to take and you've always put off and now you're like, no, screw that. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to take this damn adventure. What skill are you going to learn? You have to be thinking about tomorrow. You have some time for today, an abundance of time for tomorrow, and other than the things that you've learned so you don't repeat your mistakes, you have no time for yesterday. That's number one. Number two. Exercise. Whatever you got to do to get some exercise. I talked yesterday about, like, you know, I'm sure there's an app out there that teaches Tai Chi. Teach yourself Tai Chi. Not because you're going to become a badass, super kung fu martial artist that's going to kill somebody, because that's not how Tai Chi works. Because it's something new. It will challenge you physically, spiritually, and mentally. And if not that, pick something else. If you don't come out with a new skill, lack of time was never the problem. Now, if you don't have a lack of time, then you've got to figure out what to do with the time you have, like always. Because, you know, half of America is not out of work. Half of America is not working from home. Half of America is not staying home. Half of America is considered essential, and they're doing the same thing they always did. But if you're so, so you need to work exercise into your day, you do not need to be completely exhausted. You want to talk about how you can end up more susceptible to this virus and more susceptible to complications from this virus is totally working yourself to death. But you need exercise that is rejuvenating and refreshing in your life all the time, but especially now. Exercise is something you do, ties back into point one. You exercise not for what it does for you today, but what it does for you long term. It's back to thinking about the future. Next, give to charity. I know I said to act in your self-interest. But I also said not to be selfish. There is nothing that makes you count your blessings more than be willing to take something of what you have and give it to someone in need. There's nothing that makes you feel better about your situation than helping somebody in a worse situation. And there's nothing more that says, I will have enough, I will be okay, than being willing to, in a time where people are concerned and afraid and scared, to take something of what you have and give it away. It also thinks about the future. Because what I've always said about charity is what? Charity, when done properly, is an investment. Just because there's a return doesn't mean I need to receive it. When I donate my money, whether it's a personal gift to somebody that doesn't let me deduct it from my taxes, or whether it's through a 501 or whatever, I only do it because I believe that that $20, that $200, $1,000, whatever it is. I only do it because I believe that that money put into that situation will do more for good than had I kept it for myself. I only do it because I believe there's going to be a return on my investment. I don't need to see it. 
I just need to know that it's going to happen. So I know that when I have a friend who is in trouble that's many states away, this happened years ago, and I and another friend each kick in 500 bucks and say, here, pass it on. And that person puts his life back together. That did more than I could have by keeping it. And when that person, this is a real story, by the way, says, well, I can pay it back, and, and I and this other friend and some other friends that match what we did, and it was about $2,000 that this person was given, said, put it into a place. And then the next time someone needs it in our community, send it there and let them pay it back into that place and then send it next. Whether it's that or whether it's a conventional organization, when I give my money away, I want my money to do more than I could have done with it. And when you're thinking that way, you're not thinking about today or yesterday. You're back to point one. You're thinking about the future. And check on your neighbors. Check on your neighbors. We have a common older neighbor. We asked her, do you have everything you need? She said, yes. Okay. How are you getting along? Oh, I'm all right. I did the, she did the pickup at Walmart. We're like, okay. But whenever we are going to get supplies, we just ask again, is there anything you need? And if she says yes, if we can get it, and we're not going to go risk our lives to get her, you know, her favorite cookie or something. But if she's something she's short on and we can help her, we're going to help her. She's our neighbor. What do we do? We make sure we're okay, then we make sure our neighbors are okay, and then we make sure people beyond that are okay. And actually, we make sure we're okay, we make sure our family is okay. We make sure our neighbors are okay. And then we see what we can do beyond that. And that's one type of charity. This, If you do those things, you think of the future, including how you can benefit. You exercise, you give something of what you can, and you look after your neighbors. Your attitude going through this will be so much better, and it's so critical to get through this, not only financially sound, but spiritually sound, emotionally sound, psychologically sound. This is a serious situation. But it's far worse in our head than it is in reality. And if we don't balance that, we risk actually losing more people to mental illness who eventually commit suicide, then this virus will take from us. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for your family. But in the end, it comes down to something like I've been saying. Why am I so optimistic? Because I'm prepared. I'm not just prepared strategically and logistically. I've been preparing mentally to have to deal with something like this for well over a decade. And that mental preparedness has probably helped me a hell of a lot more than the physical and logistical preparedness. And if anything, it might have lulled me into just a little too much comfort. And maybe I didn't sound the alarm as early as I should have. And I'm sorry for that. It's a mistake. Again, when I was doing it, Anthony Fauci was saying the same thing I was. The mistake I made was believing him. But in the end, that preparedness is why, okay... We all have to stay home for 60 days. Okay. But, they, okay. But, but they, see, it's COVID. Yeah, didn't matter. Sooner or later, it was going to happen. Sooner or later, we would have to deal with something like this. Maybe it would have been my kids or my grandkids that had to do with it. Maybe, it would have, maybe I would have gotten lucky and it would have skipped my generation. It sure skipped a lot of generations before mine. Right? But sooner or later, it comes around. Cycles happen. Be prepared. And then you can get through anything that doesn't take you out. 
And in the end, guys, please, please stay cognizant of this, especially if you use sensible hygiene and nutritionally take care of yourself, etc. Your odds of dying from this are lower than your odds of dying from other reasons over any given period of time. It just is the case. We don't worry about dying every day, even though we could, because you can't live healthy that way. If you stress an organism for long enough, you can kill it. Don't do it to yourself. With that, we've wrapped things up. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, want to remind you, one of the ways you can help support this show is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. You go to tspaz.com, no matter what you buy, you help support the show. And hey, you know, ordering stuff online right now is better than going out, uh, at least the stuff you can get. Here's one you can get. I'm bringing this one back around. I brought it around about a month ago. But man, I love these. They're made by a company called Chomps, C-H-O-M-P-S. And for some reason, the C-H-O-M-P is all in caps. It's just their trademark, I guess. But they are grass-fed black pepper venison sticks. These are like everything a, a Slim Jim promised to be and wasn't. They're great for keto, but they're just a great meat stack in general. And they are in stock, and they are shipping. These things are awesome. There's many days that that's my lunch, just one of these meat sticks, because I do intermittent fasting. And like one of those is not going to be enough to totally satisfy my nutritional needs at the time. It makes me stay a little bit hungry but yet satisfied. And I don't get jittery by dinner time. Sometimes when I go all the way to dinner and do a one meal a day, these are kind of my bridge. Or if I get really, really munchy at night and I'm going to eat something I know I shouldn't, I grab one of these. They're just awesome. They taste great and they're a great nutritional profile. And they're in stock and shipping from Amazon. Again, Chomps, Grass-Fed, Black Pepper Sticks. You will find them where? tspaz.com or thesurvivalpodcast.com. And all these, when you shop tspaz, you help us. The other thing you can do, become a member. I'm still running the member sale as long as we're locked down. In, uh, you know, As long as the recommendations from the federal government are basically that states should be doing what they're doing right now, as long as that is, stays on sale, $25 bucks, uh, a year for a membership that pays for itself, you have $50 a year. That's crazy, but it's what I said I would do, so I'm going to do it. Discount code for the 25 bucks is 25 bucks because I'm just that creative. 25 B U C K S. You can sign up by going to survivalpodcast.com and clicking on members. Uh, I do discounts for first responders and stuff like that. This is a better deal. So I've been getting people asked, like, no, just take the sale price. It's a better deal. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up and talk about our song of the day. Song of the day today, we're in Neil Diamond week. And I'm not, you know, I said yesterday, I'm not a huge Neil Diamond fan, but as I'm going through these songs from John Adam, I'm uh, rethinking that a little bit. Uh, a little bit, anyway. This one's called Crackle and Rosie, and at least it's a cool story. This is about, um, about a, a wine, a bottle of wine. And it substitutes for a woman. Well, how's that work? Well, it's about, I guess, it was. I was reading this as like a Canadian Indian tribe that lived in an area where there were more men than women. So when everybody went out looking for a girl for the weekend, somebody's going to come up short. Now, I think that females being more selective than males, that happens anyway. But you put a shortage in supply, there's going to be a few more coming up short. And so Cracklin' Rosie was a bottle of wine that subbed in for the woman for the weekend. A little racy for Neil Diamond, I guess. I didn't ever really see Neil that way. Again, I've always seen kind of a Vegas show type, Barry Manilow-ish you know, something like that kind of thing. But anyway, that's kind of a cool song. With that's been Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Ah, oh, crackling rosy, get on board. We gonna ride till there ain't no more to go. Taking it slow. 
Lord, don't you know I'll have me a time with a poor man's lady Hitching on a twilight train Ain't nothing here that I care to take along Maybe a song To sing when I want Don't need to say please to no man for a happy You got the way to make me happy You and me, we go in style Crackling rules, you're a store-bought woman But you make me sing like a guitar humming So hang on to me, girl, a song keeps running on Play it now, play it now, play it now, my Set the world right Find us a dream that don't ask no questions Yeah Oh, I love my rosy child You got the way to make me happy You and me, we go in style Crackling rose, your store-bought woman But you make me sing like a guitar humming So hang on to me, girl, a song keeps running on Play it now, play it now, play it now My baby, crack the nose and make me a smile Girl, if it lasts for an hour, well, that's all right Cause we got all night Set the world right Just a dream that don't ask no questions.